to kind of, you may not normally come. That happens sometimes. Don't normally come on Sunday night. Next Sunday night, it's going to be different. Uh, there is a process that I have uh, shared with your search committee and with others called the transitional interim pastor process. And because it is relatively new to a lot of folks, we're going to take that Sunday night for me to, to present and under a presentation about what it entails because it's different than having a typical interim and so I want to distinguish those that uh, difference so that you'll have a better understanding of it and that will be next Sunday night now if you want to practice coming to church on Sunday night you're welcome to come tonight uh, it is also very encouraging as a guest here to hear the emphasis on your your North American mission offering I have a nephew who's planning a church in Detroit, Michigan, who launched last fall of all times, right in the midst of COVID and all of that stuff. And um, so uh, I would encourage you to, to support this. One of the distinctions between international missionaries and North American missionaries is international missionaries are funded uh, virtually 100%. You go to a foreign field. I, w I was a missionary in Singapore. I got a paycheck every month. It came because of the cooperative program. And that's, that's where the salaries and funding, missionary projects and stuff come from these offerings. And it was really neat a couple of years ago, I'd gotten on Facebook and reconnected with a family that I knew when I pastored in Tulsa, Oklahoma back in the 1980s. That was a long time ago, 40 years ago. And I noticed on their stream of things they were asking to pray for, they had a son. Well, this, this couple was, a, uh, he was, a, the father was originally from Mexico. I'd had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord. His name was Lorenzo Sauceda. He and his wife uh, joined our church, baptized him, and their son and another member of the church got married, went to New York City and our North American missionaries planning a church in New York City. And I thought, wow, that's like that pebble dropping, proverbial pebble dropping in the, you never know by leading one person to the Lord what that's going to do in impacting others. And uh, so I encourage you to be praying uh, about what you would give. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer just now. Father, we've come today to worship you. We've come today with our hearts open because our hearts are deceptive even from our own perspective. And Lord, the the unique thing about you is that you know our heart. You know what we need to hear today. You know the encouragement we need. You know the urging that you need to provide for us. And so, Lord, I would pray this morning for myself as well as those who are here that our eyes and ears would be open, that we would not be like those described in Scripture who were dull of hearing. But Lord, that we would accept the challenge that you've provided for churches in the book of Revelation in particular. Those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Lord, today let us have ears that are willing to hear. Not just hear words, but hear your word. Not just so that we can gain more knowledge, but Lord, so that we can be obedient to you. So Father, we ask that you accomplish your purpose and your will in this service. We ask, Lord, that everything we say and do would bring honor and glory to you. For it's in the high and holy name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thank you. There's within my heart a melody Jesus whispers sweet and low. Here not I am with thee, peace be still. In all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every Looking on his smiling face. 
we conclude our praise service this morning, let's all stand as we sing In Christ Alone. had to give my cheat sheet to my partner right there, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> oh, me. Oh. I have got some special people right here with me, Allison and Sierra. This is Sierra's debut. <laughs> She's going to do fine. Uh, we're, I'm so glad to have them helping me out this morning. This is Allison. And Sierra. You're okay, baby. What's the greatest love story ever told? And John three sixteen. loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever believes in him cannot perish but have it everlasting life. She did good. Thank you so much. Thank you.
from his glory, ever-living story, my God and Savior came, and Jesus was his name. Born in a manger, to his own a stranger, a man of sorrows, tears, and agony. Oh, how I love him, how I adore him, my breath, my sunshine, my all in all, the great creator became my savior, and all God's fullness dwelleth in him. Without reluctance, flesh and blood his substance, he took the form of man, revealed the hidden plan. Oh, glorious mystery, sacrifice of Calvary. And now I know thou art the great I am. Oh, y'all sing it with me. Shine, my all in all, the great creator became my savior, and all God's fullness dwelleth in him. Oh, the greatest love story. Thank you, Miss Jackie. I remember being involved in a an experiencing God study which was the work of Henry Blackaby. And uh, one of the things that uh, uh, was so powerful out of that uh, study was the fact that um, he, he made the point in, in one of the sessions that we had about God's love and that his love doesn't uh, change uh, just because he, he doesn't love us more because we're better. He doesn't love us more because we're more righteous. And uh, Henry made the point of God's love cannot get any greater than what Christ expressed on the cross. Even the scripture tells us, greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And so we're cer certainly grateful for that message being shared with us in song today. Thank you so much, so much. If you came for a Valentine's message, you came to the wrong church this morning. I'm sorry. Uh, I have just a few weeks with you, and I have a very uh, focused uh, reason why I'm preaching every week. And so, I, uh, and most preaching, for, for the most part, I've heard is nothing more than reminding you of things that you already know. But uh, if your memory is like mine, it can get really pushed to the back, and you can forget about some things. But I, uh, uh, I know that uh, you're already into week two of not having a pastor. 
And I am sure with great confidence you've already had some discussions amongst yourselves about exactly what that next pastor should be like. You've had your opinion and that opinion, but let me, let me put it to rest. There was a church that took a survey of their membership and came up with exactly what kind of pastor they needed. And I want to share that with you as I get started today. The results of the survey was this. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and then he sits down. He condemns sin but never steps on anybody's toes. He works from 8 in the morning till 10 at night doing everything from preaching the sermons to sweeping the floor. He's 36 years of age with 40 years of experience. He's tall on the short side, heavy set on the thin sort of way, and handsome. He has eyes of brown or blue depending on the occasion. He parts his hair in the middle or sort of to the left, possibly to the right, with a dark Straight hair on the right side and brown wavy hair on the left side. <laughs> he has a burning desire to work with the youth and spends all of his time with senior adults. He smiles all the time while keeping a straight face because he has a keen sense of humor that finds him seriously dedicated. He makes 15 calls a day on church, on church members, spends all of his time evangelizing non-church members, and is always found in his study in the office if he's needed and he's committed to his family. How do you like that guy? Well, that's ridiculous, and I might go ahead and add that uh, oftentimes when you look at what pastors do and what's asked of them today, it's somewhat quite unique to the 20th as well as the 21st century, because as you look back at God's design for the church, it was never designed to be a one-man show. It was never designed to be he comes and does the ministry while you sit back and watch. So today I want us to take some time to look at how a pastor is supposed to fit into God's design for the church. You see, how does a pastor fit? Well, God doesn't leave that to much uh, question. He is to lead the flock as well as feed the flock. Now, several passages of scripture we'll look at, but uh, primarily we're going to be looking at one today. But a couple of them I want to quote to you. Here, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, here's some direction for a pastor. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with, with all long-suffering and teaching. So he's telling them, preach uh, to convince or to correct. Preach to rebuke, none of us much like that. Preach to exhort, that means to encourage. So he gives them some guidelines. You've you got to be ready all the time. And I mean literally, that can happen to you. I remember it being on a mission trip, and the Sunday morning we were in Haiti. We were going to this little church up on the hillside, and I mean it wasn't a building. It was uh, some, uh, some benches made out of logs with a tarp over the top of it, and that was the church. And we were about halfway there, and I was a part of a team of, of several people going and a number of us went to different churches, and we I mean, were riding in the back of what they call a tap-tap down there, uh, basically a taxi. And uh, No, it's not a taxi. It's a pickup with a hood on the back, and you're riding in it, jumbling around. And I happened to ask, who's preaching this morning? And that is when I found out that I was preaching <laughs> that morning. <laughs> Be ready in season and out of season. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, or pastors, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You know, as we look at those two passages, you can kind of boil it down to two things. Preaching the word and caring for the people. Preaching the word and caring for the people. The passage we're going to spend our time on this morning, though, is found in Ephesians chapter 4, a very familiar passage of Scripture, one that you will be familiar with when, once we start reading it. You'll identify it uh, almost immediately. Rather than reading the whole passage, I'm going to do it in sections as we come to it, and then we will get through Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16 by the time we finish uh, today. What I want us to see is God's design of how pastors fit into this church. 
First thing I want us to take notice of are the positions God designed for the church. Now, I think you would probably agree with me. God has a pretty good track record at designing things. Would you not say that? Can I get an amen on that? I mean, he's designed us. We've got circulatory systems. We've got nervous systems. We've got respiratory systems. He's designed the world in which we live so that the earth spins on its axis in such a way that every 24 hours creates a day. 365 days create a year. He's done a pretty good job. I've never seen anybody try to revise anything. that. Well, yes, I have seen some people try to revise what he's created. And they usually kind of mess it up. But God has a design for the church. Do you realize that? And unfortunately, a lot of times we kind of set it aside and say, God, you don't really know our church. You don't know our situation. You don't know what it is like here. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And God really didn't set this plan in place in his word in Ephesians so that it could be revised every hundred years or so, so that it would fit the culture of the day. He set a plan in place, and he designed it. I want us to look at the positions he designed. He says, and he, and he himself gave some to, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, that last one is a combined position, in my opinion, after studying the, the passage of Scripture. The, the source of this position, we cannot miss that. We cannot miss that. That's the very first thing out of the gate it says. And he himself, Paul is saying, God himself put these positions in place. Let's briefly look at these very quickly, the, the scope of these positions. First, there's the apostles. In the truest sense of the word in the New Testament, it had to do with those who had actually personally been with Jesus. And as I spoke to you last week, I reminded you of the fact that they didn't have a printed copy of God's Word. Now, there had been letters to churches that had been circulated, but they, there was no canon of Scripture for uh, over 300 years. And so as a result, you had to have prophets and evangelists and apostles to do this kind of work. But an apostle was one of the foundational positions God put in place. Ephesians 2.20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. He, an apostle is one who is sent with a, a divine uh, commission. He's one who's seen the risen Christ personally. In the strictest sense of this definition, there are no apostles today. Although you can drive down highways and see churches and you'll see apostle so-and-so, and, -so and uh, but rest assured, They've not met the Lord face to face. Then he says prophets. Prophets had two primary responsibilities. One was to foretell and one was to tell forth. One was to foretell. Uh, prophets of the Old Testament would look and long before things happened, there, how many prophecies were there that were uh, indicated about the Lord Jesus Christ and his birth that were fulfilled because prophets... Uh, foretold what was going to happen but in this case more times than not it's telling forth the truth of God's word telling forth the truth of God's word New Testament prophets were gifts to the church to provide edification exhortation and comfort they revealed God's will to the church when uh, the biblical canon was not in place just yet one who proclaims the word of God was a prophet believers in the New Testament uh, we're looking to them for God's direction. The purpose of prophecy was to provide them guidance as they sought to follow Christ. The third position he describes are evangelists. Evangelists. Those who will proclaim the truth of God's uh, gospel. To call people to live in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These were engaged in spreading the gospel. They were itinerant in nature, not tied to any one church for any length of time. They saw their, their uh, giftedness as being one that looks out to places who had never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the fourth category, which that's where our focus is going to be primarily today. For the first three, for all practical purposes, 
are not in existence in the same realm that it was back in the New Testament days, especially the apostles and prophets. For we have the Word of God today. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit today that they uh, were just beginning to experience then. But there's the pastor-teacher hyphenated word. Pastor-teacher. Pastor meaning those who care for the church, those who shepherd the church, responsible to feed and lead the flock of God. The word of God for the shepherd becomes his staff that guides and disciplines the, the, the flock. The word for the flock becomes that instrument of protection and provision. So God has placed here as part of his design to head or be the, the uh, leader of the church as a pastor slash teacher. Teacher meaning one who faithfully passes on the teachings of Christ by explaining and applying them. I've heard a definition of a good teacher and that is he takes that which is complex and makes it simple. A poor teacher is one who takes that which is simple and makes it complex. I would prefer the good teacher over the poor teacher. And so when one looks at the Word of God, oftentimes it can be a very intimidating book because in reality it is, yes, a book, but it is also a library. It is a collection of books by over 40 authors over a 1,500-year period of time. Yes, it's tough. This is not like any other book I have ever laid eyes on. And it takes someone to teach you these things. Yes, the Holy Spirit is our teacher, but God, by His design, has placed a teacher there for us and a pastor. Oftentimes, pastors are alluded to. Matter of fact, the whole idea of a pastor comes from that shepherd concept that we find in Scripture. Uh, don't. Now, <laughs> I make some crazy mistakes sometimes when I assume certain things. I remember when I was preaching in one church, I said, do we have any shepherds here today? And three hands raised. And I was going, wait a second. So I'm not going to assume that. In all likelihood, we don't have any shepherds here this morning, right? No, no shepherds here. All right, I'm safe to do it. But the duties of a shepherd in the, in the New Testament day, it started when, at daybreak, if not sooner. And his responsibility was to take the, the sheep out of the fold and, and lead them and guide them. He did not drive them. He led them to a place of pasturing, a, a place of grazing. But you've heard it said, sheep aren't smart. Now, I don't know how God providentially likened us to sheep, but I think he's not far off. It has been said, and I don't know if it's factually true, but uh, it has been said sheep were so dumb that if, there was a, if they were grazing in one spot and ran out of grass and, and 50 yards over there was more grass, they wouldn't have sense enough to find it. But a pastor and a shepherd have similar things in that they are to feed the sheep, lead them to where there's good grazing. And the grazing for us spiritually comes from the Word of God. Doesn't come from newspapers, doesn't come from TV programs, doesn't come from the latest book that comes out of the, uh, off the presses. It, it is from the Word of God. Shepherd also to, was to lead them to water. You know, the 23rd Psalm alludes to the shepherd and, and, and that whole process of but beside the still waters, it's called the shepherd's psalm anyway. And so the shepherd would lead them to graze, lead them to feed upon the water. Also, at the end of the day, the shepherd would be the one who, as each sheep comes in, he would make sure that everyone was present. And if one had wandered off, he didn't say, ah, you know, uh, I'm going to look for him sometime tomorrow. They went after it today. How many times I've seen pastors in churches that know of people who are wandering and say, well, you know, it's none of my business. It is your business as a pastor to care for your sheep. They may not want to be cared for, but it's your responsibility to care for them. And he would end his day by camping himself in the front of that fold of where the sheep would stay at night so that should there be any uh, uh, 
animal, any predator that would come and try to take advantage of these defenseless, dumb sheep, he would be there to protect them. You see, that's what a pastor is supposed to do. That is part of his job. He is to shepherd the flock, lead them and feed them is his primary role. There should be a balance between pastoring and teaching. I heard a saying a long time ago, and I still think it's true. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you what? Care. Well, there's been some great pastors who have been able to preach the stars down, but as far as caring for their flock, forget it. They're not good at that. As you look for your next pastor, you need to look for one who can lead as well as feed. Second thing I want us to take a look at this morning very quickly is the, the purpose God designed for the church. And when I say church in this sense, I'm talking about you. For he didn't just set those people up, the apostles, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He didn't just set them up because he didn't have anything else to do. He didn't set him up just because he was needing some kind of organizational structure for the church. He tells us in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, folks, I know it's a stretch in some cases. I know it's a real stretch in, in other cases to equate you with saints. But, folks, biblically, that's what you are. Matter of fact, it's a real stretch for me to look in the mirror and even consider the prospects of me being a saint. It's not the same kind of sainthood as you would see in other churches of other, other uh, tribes. But every believer is a saint in this context. He says the pastor teacher's primary responsibility is what? To do all the ministry? No. To what? To equip the saints. To do all the ministry. Equipping the believers is his primary task. Get something, and this is the idea, this word equip is to get the idea of, of getting somebody ready for its design purpose. It's a word that is used to describe the setting of a bone that has been broken so that it can function as it is designed to be a function. It was used by fishermen in their day and time. They didn't fish with poles, they fished with nets. And this idea of equipping is the idea of mending nets so that they can function like they're supposed to. But also expanding the ministry, the equipping of the saints is for the purpose of, for the work of the ministry. This is service. This is service. If there's anything the church of the last 50 years has really fallen flat on, it is in this area. Because since about the mid-1950s, uh, prior to that time, most churches did not have a full-time pastor. If there was going to be ministry done, it would be done by the body of Christ. Then more and more that professional ministry began to expand, the less and less the church felt like it needed to do. Well, that's why we hired him. We hired him to evangelize for us. We hired him to come to the hospital and care for us. We hired him to come and see me when I'm at my home sick. No. His job is to equip you as the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. Why are ministers falling by the wayside right and left for the last 10, long before COVID hit? I mean, it has increased enormously during this COVID time, pastors leaving the ministry. But even before that, why was that happening? Time and time again, you would hear this term, burnout. What does that mean? That simply means that he's having to shoulder much of the ministry that he was never intended to shoulder. But also for the edifying of the body of Christ, it says here. Equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, that's a word that means to build up the body of Christ. I read a few years back, John Maxwell had a, a, a funny... Uh, definition of what football is he said football consists of 22 people on a football field desperately needing rest 
being observed by 92,000 people who desperately need exercise. (laughs) That is not unlike the church. It's been very interesting during these last 11 months. One of the things I'm hearing consistently from church after church, association after association, is that our giving has stayed strong. Well, that doesn't surprise me, really. It's been interesting. It kind of confirms what we've said all along. That 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give virtually everything there is given to do the work of the church. And the 80% sit back and let you do it. It's that 80% that hasn't come back. It's that 80% who hasn't given anyway. And now we find that there's consistency to what's being said all these many years. Not unlike a team, a coach on a team, your pastor is to coach you up. One of the big selling points of most athletic programs is this coach will make you better. That's what your pastor ought to be able to do with you. You ought to be sharper, stronger, more effective, I've often said the best definition, I think, of a pastor is that when he leaves a church, everything does not stop, but everything keeps going to the point that two or three months after the pastor's gone, retired or gone to another place of service, somebody finally goes, where's that guy that used to preach on Sunday morning? He's not here anymore. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You're to be equipped for a reason. God has a purpose for your life in this church, to be a body of believers equipped. God equips you through the Word. God equips you through the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit being evidenced in your life. God gives you and equips you with gifts. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. And he tells us in Scripture, we ought to be exercising that gift. That means using it for the glory of God. The final thing I want us to look at this morning is this. We want to look at the people God designed for the church. Okay, you're going to be equipped for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. Well, what has he got designed for the people. He tells us in verse 13 and following, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. God wants every church to be a church that is attaining to the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith. Until we all hold the same truth, that we all have the same confidence in the Son of God. To attain means to reach a destination. To reach a destination. God's designed us to be people who attain to the unity of experience. When it says to the fullness of the knowledge, to the knowledge of the Son of God, that word knowledge means experience knowledge gained from experience so that you don't know just about Jesus Christ you know him you walk with him he abides in you that's what he's talking about a unity that is there people who attain to the unity of their expression it says to a perfect man yes that's not talking about perfection as, as far as sinlessness is concerned but it means fully equipped 
to the measure the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me tell you when you can you have my permission to stop growing and that is when you've attained to the fullness of the stature of Christ. When you do that, you can stop. When you do that, you can stop serving. When you do that, you can quit doing whatever you're doing, but until that time, God's placed you here for a purpose. To the measure of the full stature of the fullness of Christ, no longer being children no longer being sure. It scares the life out of me to know how little doctrine our churches know. I had a lady call me this week. Call me this week and she says, Brother Lex, can you tell me what document there is that Southern Baptists use to have their doctrine of beliefs? I said, I sure can, the Baptist faith and message. Really? She said, I said, yeah. She said, hmm. I've been a Baptist all my life, and I've never heard that. I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. Somebody has failed to do their job. That is our doctrinal statement of faith as far as Southern Baptists go. And, folks, doctrine is important. Doctrine is simply teaching. That's what it is. It's teaching. Let me tell you what will mess the church up faster than anything is poor teaching. No doctrine. So that anybody does whatever they believe and it's all subjective. It is not subjective. It is the bounds of the guidelines of what's in the Word of God. But if you're not grounded, you become like children, tossed about to and fro. But he says we are to speak the truth in love. There's to be unity in the body of Christ. It says joined and knitted together. It means anything which binds and fastens and secures us together. So that we effectively work every part doing its share. Just imagine. If that percentage I gave you were true. We've been described as the body of Christ. So let's use that imagery. And I said just a moment ago. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. What if only 20% of your body. Organisms in your body. Functioned. Would you be here today? No. You'd been in some life support system somewhere. On a ventilator. Somebody's having to breathe for you. Somebody's having to walk for you. Somebody's having to feed you. There is a beauty about the body of Christ he has not made all of us hands he has not made all of us feet he has not made all of us legs he has not made us all arms or shoulders he has made all these weird little things that if you looked at them all by themselves you say well that's not much think about thumbs you look at a thumb when's the last time you remember seeing a portrait of a thumb I, I can't remember I, I don't remember any awards being given for the Hall of Fame of Thumbs. But guess what? Try spending a day not using one. Just one. Not both of them. One. How about big toes? I've never seen a Hall of Fame for big toes either. But my wife's granddad lost all of his toes. He was a preacher. He was a diabetic. He lost uh, the front part of both feet. I, I, I never will forget the first time he got back in the pulpit. He said, the congregation said, well, brother, we know one thing. Nobody can ever step on your toes again when you preach. He took it as he should have in jest. My point being, you may not see your part as significant, but in the body of Christ, it fits together as a whole. And you may choose to sit by idly and do nothing and not realize how it impacts the body of Christ. When we are all working together and you're working in your area of giftedness and I'm working in my area of giftedness, let me tell you something. You're not drained from that kind of experience. You are energized by that kind of experience. It's incredible. Why is there such a drag on the body of Christ today? Because we're asking people to do somebody else's job because they're not here to do it. I had a quote 
says two of the most important days of your life is the day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. I thought, well, that's interesting. I think I would change it to say there may be three most important days. The day you were born, the day you were reborn, and the day you discover why God reborn you. That's not good English. Saved you. He saved you to serve. There's no question. He saved you to serve. What did Jesus say himself? I did not come to be served. I came to what? Serve. If the Son of God, the Messiah, comes with that kind of attitude, are we too haughty to take on that same demeanor? I think not. As the body it is equipped to serve in unity, it is a body that is equipped to grow in maturity. It is a body equipped to love selflessly. In doing so, the pastor does not have to do all of the ministry. That's a weak church, not a strong church. Yes, your pastor that you call should be, be able to equip, not just preach, not just visit, not just evangelize, not just minister to you, not just socialize with you. The question that should be asked of any pastor that you interview in this process is, what is your plan to equip this body to impact this community with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question. Because let me tell you something. You can get a wonderful pulpiteer up here, and if he can't equip you, Gonna be, gonna be tough, tough slatty. You can be, you can get the nicest guy in the world up here with all the skills you can imagine. But if he can't equip you, which is God's design, not his, this church will continue to be ineffective in the community. So the question is, what has God designed for you? Based on this passage of Scripture, what has God designed for you? <laughs> Very easy. He's designed you to be equipped. He's designed you to be part of the ministry here. He's designed you to be growing. Growing. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask that you speak to our hearts today through your word, that your Holy Spirit would have the free reign to work in our hearts and lives to make an impact this morning and Lord maybe there is someone here who's been sitting back and waiting twiddling thumbs waiting to for somebody else waiting for the new pastor waiting for a a new person to come and preach and maybe that will inspire them Lord let us be satisfied with your instruction with your design so that we can follow you Lord help us to be a church that has adopted your design follows your plan under your leadership and in your power for it's in Christ's name I pray amen we're going to sing a hymn of invitation number 366 would you stand please in these next moments if God has spoken to your heart I'll be here at the front to pray with you you may simply want to make this an altar of prayer here at the front and come and deal with God yourself personally but whatever decision God has laid upon your heart I invite you to come Respond as the body of Christ this morning. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Jesus, I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow, 
Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Thank you for that message, Lex. Uh, before we sing our closing chorus, there are a couple of announcements I need to make mention of. First of all, this Wednesday night is our regular church conference, so please plan to come. We will also have prayer meeting that night as well. And lastly, a couple of weeks ago, the church gave Mike and Debbie a going-away gift, a trip to the Holy Land. And since that time, people have come and asked the church, hey, I would like to contribute to that. So you can. There are envelopes in the back of the chairs, love offering envelopes. Take one, however you feel led, um, go ahead and contribute towards that if you'd like to. Um, with that being said, let's sing our closing chorus, Sweet, Sweet Spirit. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this spirit. 